turn to your neighbor and say, you look wonderful. Don't you love the sight of one another? I do. I very much love the sight of each of you. And I thank the Lord for you. I thank the Lord that we are back together in person. That we get to see each other's face. That we get to be in each other's presence. That we get to truly be the church. Since coming back together, we've been studying this theme of the church and its calling. And we are coming to the last emphasis today, the measure of the church. Now, last week, we looked at the measure of my faith. And in particular, we looked at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Since then, you and I have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord, we are to continue in Him, rooted and built up in Him and strengthened in the faith as we are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The measure of my faith. Is Christ truly the Lord of my life? The authority over me? Am I living my life under His authority? Am I continuing to grow in Him? Is my faith developing? Am I overflowing with thankfulness? That is being able to see His hand and His goodness in every moment and circumstance and expressing to Him my praise and my thanksgiving. The measure of my faith. Today we are going to be looking at the measure of the church. And what we need to do to get it right as the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul wrote, And God placed all things under His feet, the feet of Christ, and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Now, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae and the church at Ephesus are both known as prison epistles. They were written while the Apostle Paul was in custody, awaiting his hearing before Caesar. This lasted for two years. While he was there, he didn't just wait. He preached the gospel to people who came to him. He spent many hours in prayer. And he wrote letters to the churches to address issues, to encourage, to build them up in Christ. And so again, these two letters written to the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae, together they teach us how to relate to one another as the body of Christ and how to relate to Christ as the head of the body. The two words that define and measure us are two singular words, the word Christ and the word others. 
In regard to Christ, how like Christ are we? In regard to others, how engaged are we in building up one another in Christ? We're going to read two passages of Scripture. The first one will come from Ephesians chapter 4. The second from Colossians chapter 3. As we read through them, I want you to note the references to Christ, the references to others, the references to how we are engaged in building one another up in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, and then 15 and 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. What does mature look like? attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does what? Does its work. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, this is more than just a letter that the Apostle wrote. We recognize it today as your authoritative word. You have not presented to us suggestions. You have not given to us good ideas. You have presented to us your word that will never pass away. Your expectations for us as followers of Jesus Christ. What you are looking for when you look at your body. We open our hearts and we pray that you would give us your spirit so that we might understand this word that he has inspired. We pray that you would give us a better understanding today of Christ as the head of the church and his authority over us. Of ourselves as the body of Christ and our responsibility to one another. Of what it means to truly be mature in Christ. Father, we pray that you will work by your spirit in our hearts and our lives so that we will not remain immature and childish as followers of Jesus Christ. But we will truly grow up in Christ and truly serve your purposes as the body of Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Within these verses are a number of marks and measures by which a church should be evaluated. From a human perspective, there are many things that serve as diagnostics for church leaders to evaluate the health of a church. What truly measures a church is what Jesus has said what he expects and what he is looking for. And I want you to understand this morning that as we look at these things, they apply to each of us individually. Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. Collectively, who we are and what we are, we make up the body of Christ. If we are immature in Christ, we will have an immature church. And Jesus can't use an immature church. He can't use a group of people who aren't truly striving to become mature in Christ and to be like Christ in every way. You can't entrust an important trip to the store to your 10-year-old. Here's my keys. Would you go to the store and pick up this medicine? It's vital. No. He's not qualified. He's not mature enough. Many Christians, however, remain in an immature state. They can't give to the body the service, the ministry that the body needs. 
But you and I are called to attain in every measure maturity in Christ so that we can be a suitable body for Him as the head and serve His purposes. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, the Apostle Paul was using the analogy of the marriage of a husband and a wife to explain Christ and His relationship to the church. And in verse 27 from the Passion Translation, the Apostle wrote, All that He, that is Christ, does in us is designed to make us a mature church for His pleasure until we become a source of praise to Him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault and flaw. You see, we can only serve the purposes of God as we become more mature in Christ. So what are the marks and the measures of a church that is becoming suitable as the body of Christ to serve the pleasure, the purposes, the will of Christ the head? Number one, the first mark is that Christ is recognized by each one as the head of the body. His will and purposes are the priority of every member. The Apostle Paul wrote, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's no one among us today who would not say amen to that truth. In fact, I'm sure as we go through these marks and these measurements from Ephesians and Colossians today, there won't be anything that we overtly disagree with and would say, I don't believe that. But are we walking in it in a substantive way? Substantial is a mark of maturity. I'm not erratic, I'm not inconsistent, but I am something that is thorough. I'm substantial. Are we walking in these things substantially? And how are they reflected in my life as I recognize Christ as the head of the body? Every one of us should be people who are praying, Lord, as this part of the body, how do you want me to serve you as the head? Father, what are your purposes for Moravia? And how are you calling me to serve your purposes? Jesus, I am your body. What is the role and the work that you have given to me. As we have mentioned, as a result of COVID and the pandemic, as a result of being online, many people have just drifted away from the church. Many people have joined another church and many of those have joined another church online. 
They have not done so because the head of the church instructed them, nor are they there engaged in a ministry and committed to the building up of that church body. Listen to me. If you and I aren't physically part of a church body, if we aren't committed to that body, if we are merely attenders who are not engaged in ministry, we're not in a place of maturity where Christ is the head of the church. Amen? It is the truth. What is the condition and the state of your body if one part of it does not respond to the impulses of the brain? If you want your teeth brushed, but your arm won't do it. There's no such thing as your arm not doing it unless there is something wrong with it. Otherwise, your limbs will automatically respond to those neurological impulses from the brain. Pastor Samuel can tell you what it's like to have a part of your body damaged by something so that it doesn't respond. If you and I do not respond to the head of the body and do those things that Christ wants us to do, it means that we are damaged in some way. We are not who and we are not what we should be. Secondly, spiritual maturity is the collective and focused priority of everyone. Is the pastor concerned about spiritual maturity? Yes, he is. Is Oral the Sunday school teacher concerned about spiritual maturity? Yes, he is. Is Pastor Samuel and the church board concerned about your spiritual maturity? Yes, they are. Are you concerned about your spiritual maturity? Are you concerned about the person sitting over here on the other side of the church? According to the Word of God that we read this morning, spiritual maturity is the collective and focused priority of everyone. We read, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Over this month of October, how have you expressed that spiritual maturity is your priority, not only for your own self, but for others in this body of Christ? It is a critical mark and measurement. Thirdly, every member is intentionally, consistently, and deeply engaged in the Word, and the spiritual growth of one another. This is a very important mark. Each member is intentionally, consistently, and deeply engaged in the Word and in the spiritual growth of one another. To the Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you attend and admonish one another with all wisdom. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, from Him, Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Are you intentionally, consistently, and deeply engaged in the Word? How much time do you spend each day in the Word of God? How much do you study it? How much are you engaged with others in the study of God's Word? Let the Word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. And how are you engaged in sharing that Word with one another here in the body of Christ? How are you engaged in helping others to spiritual maturity? Fourthly, differences, not sameness, are valued as a testimony to unbelievers of the greater identity and unity that the body possesses in Christ. Once again, differences, not sameness are valued as a testimony to unbelievers of the greater identity and unity that the body possesses in Christ. Now, let me tell you something. For the church at Colossae, to whom Paul wrote this letter, the concept of church as you and I know it and practice it would have been completely alien to them. They wouldn't have recognized what we are doing here this morning. Do you realize that? First of all, the church community met in the house of Philemon. There wasn't a building called church. They knew that they were the church. They didn't go to church. They were the church that came together in the house of Philemon. And since there was no Sunday as we know it, no work week like we know it, no Saturday, no Sunday to wrap up the work week and the time is your own, they would have met at the end of the work day. To them it was the Lord's day. To everyone else in society, it was just another work day. Now, the correlation to this is those who live in Islamic countries. For example, if you're in Egypt, you work today. The holy day was Friday. You have off Friday and Saturday. And then it's back to work on Sunday. And so my friends who are in Egypt, they will be going to church very shortly for an evening service. And so the church would gather, the people would gather in Philemon's house at the end of the workday. They likely would have shared a meal together, and that would be followed by communion. And everyone brought something to share. Some churches had a real problem, like the church at Corinth. 
They would eat up all the food before the poor people got there, and they would share their wine, and they would be drunk by the time that the communion service was to take place. The Apostle Paul had some rather harsh words for them. But they would have shared a meal with one another, followed by communion. And the church there at Colossae wouldn't have looked like us at all. The concept of a homogeneous church body, that is, people of one kind, is unknown in the New Testament. Now, people did try to segregate themselves with people like them. Peter did it once, only to be rebuked in public to his face by the Apostle Paul. So again, the concept of a church of people just like us is unknown in the New Testament. It was not the church at Colossae. The church was a mix of nationalities and cultures, different educational, economic, and social status. It included some who were free. It included some who were slaves. Now, at the moment that this letter from the Apostle Paul is being read to the rest of the church gathered in Philemon's house, something very interesting is taking place. That letter was brought by one of Paul's companions named Tychicus. It wasn't the only letter that came there. Along with Tychicus was a young man named Onesimus. And he carried a letter from the Apostle Paul to Philemon, the host of the church. So sitting there at that moment, when this letter from Paul to the Colossian church was being read, is Philemon and Onesimus, who stole from Philemon and ran away. Somehow Onesimus had encountered the Apostle Paul in Rome, and he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul had sent him back to Philemon with this letter, saying to Philemon, Receive Onesimus as you would receive me. So here's what's interesting. Here is Philemon, who was a slave master and who owned Onesimus. Here was Onesimus, who had stole from Philemon and was guilty of two capital crimes, according to Roman law, theft from his master and running away. And you and I know the penalty for capital crimes. And there they were together. It would have been the same among others who were there. Some were slave owners, and some were slaves. It was the way of life. They were worshiping Christ together. Their differences could not have been greater. And yet, there they were 
with the Apostle Paul writing to them and saying, Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator, here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. In that congregation, there were Greeks. Greeks considered themselves to be superior in intellect, education, and culture to everyone else. In other words, they looked down on everyone who was not a Greek. There were Jews. And Jews considered anyone who was uncircumcised to be unclean. And we don't associate with you. And then there were Scythians. Would you like to attend a church full of Scythians? Scythians were considered to be the most barbaric and uncivilized of people. How many of you would say to the usher, please sit me next to a Scythian? And the Apostle Paul said to them, in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Throughout the pandemic, we have seen the turmoil in churches over social and cultural issues, over political issues. Churches have been torn apart over these issues. Pastors have been forced out of their church because they didn't take a particular stand or they didn't take a strong enough stand, as felt by some people in the congregation. One of the most significant church in the, churches in the Washington, Baltimore regional area is a church in northern Virginia. It's a very significant church. It's a very nationally prominent church. But a core of people circulated rumors on Facebook that were not true around political and social issues to the point that their business meeting became chaotic, could not be completed. If you and I were going to plant a church, we would probably, if we followed the directions of church planters and those who know what to do, we would target a particular group. We might target a group of people who are like us. We gravitate towards people who are familiar. But what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here is something very critical. When, a, when the world looks at a church, what do they see? Our testimony will be greater when there are more people who are unlike us than like us. When we have to accommodate those people 
when we have to practice love and forbearance with one another, when we have to do things to accommodate them in one way or another so that they are integrated and made part of us. Like Felix, who was translating for Aline. That is where our testimony for Jesus Christ will truly shine. Look at the words. Differences, not sameness, are valued as a testimony to unbelievers that we have a greater identity, greater than one that is ethnic, greater than one that is cultural, greater than one that is our language, a greater identity and unity that the body possesses in Christ. The world needs to see that we are a group of people who are unlike one another. And perhaps politically or socially, there are things that are very different about us. But that's secondary to the fact that we love one another. We are committed to one another and we are united together in Christ. I've told you before of attending a church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The Hmong people were allies of the United States during the Vietnam War, and they suffered very harsh reprisals by the Viet Cong. And so many of them were brought here to the United States. I knew their story, I'd read their history, and I wanted to visit a Hmong church. I found one in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I drove down one Sunday to go to that church. I saw three distinct groups of people. Outside the church, I saw the Hmong teenagers and young adults. They were dressed like, just like me. They were listening to music. And they had on the typical music that you would find on the radio that everybody listens to in their age group. I went into the church and I sat behind a young couple. They had little children. They were dressed in Westerner clothes. He had a tie on, white shirt. They greeted me in English. And then the church service took place. All the leaders of the church were dressed in Hmong traditional dress. The church service was in Hmong. I did not understand a single word. The young couple ahead of me, sitting in front of me, they understood every word and they participated. The young people, they were still outside. What was already happening? in the effort to maintain their ethnic and cultural identity, they were already losing their young people who were part of a different identity, let alone not reaching anyone else in the neighborhood around them. Do you understand why this is so important? why Jesus is glorified and why there is no future. 
if we just do church like ourselves and in a way that fits who we are. The Apostle Paul said, for the sake of the gospel, I become all things to all people. Next, the image by which the church is seen and known by others is nothing more and nothing less than the clothing of Christ. Every once in a while, I will peruse the Assemblies of God websites of other districts. And I had read an article that one of the healthiest counties in the United States is Cedar County, Nebraska. So I wondered, hmm, what is Cedar County, Nebraska like? And do they have an Assemblies of God church there? And so I went to the website for the Nebraska Assemblies of God, and there was a list of open churches. And as I scrolled down the list of positions available, I came to this one. Pastor of branding for such and such a church. Now you understand what branding is. It would be like us having mugs and t-shirts available at the Welcome Center with our MAG logo and the name Moravia Assembly of God. It's the imaging that we present through our communications on the church website, on social media. Branding, every company does it. To get who they are out in front of people, to capture the attention of people. A pastor of branding. Responsible for the image of the church. But according to the Word of God, the only image that we should present to this world, the only way by which we should be known, is nothing more and nothing less than the clothing of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When the world looks at a believer and when they look at someone who is from Moravia Assembly of God, this is what they should see. You and me wearing the clothes of Christ, the clothing of compassion, of kindness, of humility, of gentleness and patience. Anything other, anything less, and we are not representing Christ. We are missing the mark. We are getting it wrong. And we have seen many churches over the last couple of years, according to this standard, they have missed the mark. They cannot be called the body of Christ, but a human representation serving a human agenda. The next one. Differences and conflicts are resolved in the heart and in submission to Christ the head. Differences and conflicts are resolved in the heart and in submission to Christ the head. The Apostle Paul wrote, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
What do we mean when we say differences and conflicts are resolved in the heart? The heart is the wellspring of life. If something does not originate in the heart, it's not real. I told you of my brother who was disciplined by my father, and my father told him to sit down, and he said, okay, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up inside. Being reconciled to someone is more than the words that we speak. It begins in the heart. The Apostle Paul said, bear with each other and forgive one another. And then he said, if any of you has a grievance against someone. And the way that he is writing it, and the voice in which he is using these words means, how can it be possible that you might have a grievance against a fellow member of the body of Christ, but if you do? Make sure that you have forgiven them as the Lord has forgiven. Do you notice that he says, forgive? He doesn't say anything about that person apologizing. Are you going to that person and telling them that they are wrong? It's already resolved in my heart. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. God made us alive in Jesus Christ. Did we gain His favor when we came to Him in repentance? He had already sent His Son to the cross on our behalf. We weren't free to experience it until we came to Him. Do we forgive as God? has forgiven us. When someone comes to us and said, I'm, says, I'm sorry, you know what should already have happened in our heart according to 1 Corinthians 13? You and I say, if, if you did, I don't know anything about it. I can't remember it. Maybe you can remember it, but you've done what the Scripture said. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. And it's not that God can forget our sin. He chooses to put it in the sea of forgetfulness where it cannot and will not be brought back by Him. I've asked Felix if he would come and quickly share a testimony that he shared with me last Sunday. Felix, would you come? Uh, my name is Felix Ndikumana. I am from Rwanda. Rwanda is a small country in uh, eastern of Africa. I just want to share with you uh, about the powerful God, uh, especially in forgiveness. As you know, uh, I'm, we are here, we are new here in the U.S. Uh, we are trying to get a community where we have to worship God. Uh, uh, with, uh, last uh, Sunday, we were discussing with uh, the pastor, and uh, the Holy Spirit brought to me again the situation that we faced. Uh, you know, Rwanda, 
has a, we have a genocide in 1994. Yes, uh, uh, external people, they are saying that, but this was not really the case. Uh, it was a plan of, of the devil for the division of uh, the same population. Amen. In Rwanda, we don't have Hutu and Tutsi. We are in one nation. We, are not, we don't have those uh, ethnic groups because we don't have, uh, in definition of et uh, ethnicity, mm -hmm. you it cannot fit with our situation. We are one nation. We, we, we speak the same language. Uh, everyone married to another, another one. Mm -hmm. If you ask me who I am, I am today, I cannot say from your definition, I'm not a Hutu, I'm not a Tutsi. Because in my ancestral part, I, I have both, uh, both what you call Hutu, both we call Tutsi. So there is no ethnic, uh, like in, I was in Nigeria when I was, uh, uh, before coming here. I know in Nigeria when you can say, you can say, this is, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, and sometimes you are proud of being. For us, we are not, even when someone tells someone you are Hutu or you are Tutsi, it's a like, um, it, it's insult. You are insulting him. Mm -hmm. uh, so the genocide that came was a plan of the devil, especially for, to divide people and then to create a disaster. What I want to test, uh, testify today is the power of the, uh, the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Before the genocide, four years before, God uh, spread the Holy Spirit in all the country. So I was young, 20, so at university, and the Holy Spirit came and embraces all the churches, especially uh, uh, Pentecost churches. So we had a revival, we preached the gospel of God, many people gave their lives to Jesus, and God was preparing his bride, and we were not aware of what is going on. And we were teaching one word, forgiveness, measuring how God gave his only son to come to die for us as a sinners so that we can be redeemed. So we were teaching about love, but we were not, why, what, uh, why God spread the Holy Spirit to only for Rwanda? Because the revival that we had, I never saw in the kind of revival that we had that time in any other country. I have been in many countries, but I never saw such kind of revival when we were preaching uh, when I'm in a taxi, uh, public transportation, I preach everyone. Then they say, stop the car. Uh, we go to the street, and we pray for them, and we continue. That was our, the way we, we were living. And people, they were in, uh, growing in Christ. And grow, growing was saying, when you grow up, what is showing that you are growing up is those, those words that pastor was saying, compassion. Uh, kindness, uh, patience, uh, gentleness, but forgiveness. Forgiveness was the big, the big one. And during the genocide, I can tell you that God prepared 
a many people that left the world during that time to go to the heaven because they had time to listen to the word of God, repent themselves, and accepting Jesus and working for Jesus. Men, when they were killing them, they were singing. It was like uh, someone who left that time. I'm jealous for them because I was there. I'm a survivor of the genocide, but God protected me. I don't know why uh, he never left, uh, left, left me go, but when you see those people going, they were so happy to go to train God. But the second point about that revival, the one, one was preparing the, uh, uh, those killed to go to the heaven to join Jesus, but the second one was to prepare after the genocide. After the genocide, imagine one country when uh, your housemaid was the one who came to kill you. Eh? Yeah. And imagine after the genocide, now the one who was killed become master. This is how the situation was in Rwanda. So the, what we call minority after the genocide become the responsible of the country. Imagine if there was no gospel, what was going to happen? Eh? The revenge, that should happen. But because the church teachers, I remember when we were young, preaching at uh, to the big stadium, we preached in the president of the republic, and we asked him to repent, otherwise he died. Exactly when he refused to, to repent, next time, uh, next day he passed away. We preached to everyone. But what I want to say is, during that time, there was what we call uh, many parties, political parties. God was say. This is not for everyone, for our country was saying, don't, as a, as a believer, from what is preparing, do not engage in any political parties. Ask everyone to destroy all those cards. We were destroying many cards every Sunday. Every Sunday people were coming, we were saying, repent you, you should not go to the political parties. Today we don't teach this one, the Holy Spirit is changing every time because of the situation. But what we want to say is that after the genocide, the church was in the origin of being, uh, being together peacefully. You see? So I am here. I don't have any grief to someone who did wrong to me because they cut it. I spent many time, many than 10 years without taking shoes because they cut me, so I have some, uh, yo. But my heart was very big, open. I don't know if you ask me, like a human, I can, I can say, it was not me. I lost many uh, brothers, sisters, families, but I was so happy and ready to, uh, to hug the one who, who did bad to me, who did wrong to me. And when I was praying to God as a church, church went together, we prayed for God. You know, the church responsibility is to pray for politicians, the government, the, the responsible. If you don't pray for them, you are against the word of God. We were praying for them, saying, God, give them the wisdom for conducting these uh, Mad people, they were like mad, everyone. And God 
listened to us, and he gave wisdom to our leadership, and we were able to forgive, to, to finish everything because of the word of God. So I wanted to share with you that small testimony. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. Differences and conflicts are resolved in the heart and in submission to Christ the head. One of the things Felix told me last week was, you couldn't say anything bad about a brother or sister. No one wanted to hear it, even if it was true. No one wanted to listen to it. The love was that deep. It doesn't matter. I love him. I love her. Accountability to one another and by one another is expected and practiced and is never threatening because a spirit of servant love rules every heart. Jesus told his disciples, you don't lord it over one another. You bend down and you wash one another's feet. We need accountability to one another. I need accountability to you. You need accountability to me. You need accountability to each other. We need accountability to one another. Where were you last week? I missed you. How are you doing in your walk with God? Can we get together this week and pray for one another? We need accountability with one another. But some people shy away from accountability because of the experiences that they've had. We don't approach someone with a condemning spirit. We don't approach them with a judgmental attitude. We are to build one another up in Christ. We are to approach one another in servant love. You and I should expect to be accountable to each other. And we should be willing to do so. Worship with one another that is Christ-centered and word-rich is prioritized as indispensable to honoring Christ and building up his body. Worship with one another that is Christ-centered and word-rich is prioritized as indispensable to honoring Christ and building up the body. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Jesus is looking and listening for the worship of his body. And worship not only honors Christ, it builds us up in Christ. Now, one of the things that we are grappling with as we come back is getting used to coming to church. It takes time. It takes preparation in the morning. And many of us are not here until worship is almost over. What does that mean? That means that we have missed a very important time. We've only been partially present instead of fully engaged in worship that honors Christ and builds one another up. Your voice, your spirit, your worship 
is important to others experiencing the presence of Jesus Christ. When we worship, He inhabits the praises of His people. And when He is present, hearts and lives are touched and changed in ways that you and I don't even know. So let's contribute to that. Finally, every person in the church recognizes their place and role in the body and serves with wholehearted love to the honor of Christ the head. The Apostle Paul wrote, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What is your work in the body of Christ? No place in the Bible are we told that it's satisfactory to attend church. We are to have a ministry, a role, in building others up in Christ. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Two weeks ago, my presbyter called me to tell me of a funeral that he was conducting. It had some significance to me. Years ago, when I was growing up in this church, when it was Bethel Tabernacle, there was an older woman who was raising her two grandchildren. Her name was Mary Curry. She lived in the Projects Freedom Way, just behind Claremont. And she was raising her grandchildren because her daughter had been through a divorce and the courts would not award the daughter the children. They awarded them to the grandmother. The mother of the children, later on in life, came to know Jesus Christ. And she came to church at Eastern Assembly of God. My presbyter did not know her background, did not know her connection. He found out at her funeral when her grandson, Bill, who I knew when I was young as part of Bethel Tabernacle, told Pastor Ed the connection and the history. Now, here's what I want you to hear. When Bill's mother got saved, she loved to be in church. And as she got older, she wanted to live near her grandson, so she moved to Catonsville. And every Sunday, she would take the mobility van to get to Eastern in Dundalk. That's quite a little trek, isn't it? She never wanted to be late for church. So she would often get there at 6 a.m., two hours before the 8 o'clock morning service. So because she was arriving at 6 a.m., the head usher began to come at 6 a.m., and he would sit there for the two hours before the service began and just talk to her, pray with her, fellowship with her. He understood that that was part of his ministry and that in the body of Christ, I don't belong to myself. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and said, each member belongs to all the others. 
And so I do what serves you. And you do what serves someone else. And we don't think of ourselves first. We think of others first. And we think of what needs to be done to build them up in Christ. Because we know that when we stand before Jesus, we don't want him to look at us and say, you're an immature Christian. Much more was invested in you. But you turned out to be and to do so little for me. Or you're an immature church. I had intended for you to have a far greater impact. But you were too focused on your own lives instead of listening to me, the head of the church. We want him to say, you truly have in every way pursued attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You are the kind of church that measures up, the kind of church that has gotten it right. May that be true of you. May that be true of us. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word makes us wise into salvation. Your word reveals your purposes and your will for us. Thank you for the clarity of word. Your intention is that we would be perfect in Christ, that we would have the riches of complete understanding, that we would be transformed from the image of who we were and our other identities to one that is renewed in the knowledge of the image of our Creator, and we reflect the glories of Jesus and the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, and the world takes notice. Father, it is your intention that we would serve one another, minister to one another, everyone doing our part conscientiously and consistently to build one another up in Christ. Father, I pray that we will leave our personal agendas at the altar today. I pray that we will say, Lord, I don't want to be an immature believer. I want to be made fully like you in every way. Give us your heart. Give us your spirit. Give us your love. Give us your forgiveness. Give us your compassion. Give us your gentleness. Make us like you, Lord Jesus. Make us a body that is mature, one of which you delight in calling us your body. Not a body that's like a paraplegic, a body that doesn't work, a body that is dysfunctional, but one that is fully connected to you, the head, to your life flowing into us and enabling us to be like you and to represent you well in this world. Father, we pray this to the honor and the glory of Christ the head. Amen. Amen.